So here was my weekend. I was, Friday and Saturday night, Wendy and I went to High Point to a church planner's summit, conference, whatever, like, and so I went to, on Friday, for them to teach us, and then on Saturday, I was there as a presenter, and so, because I'm really smart, I planned. I, I knew I'd be tired this morning, so I had, I made sure we had a speaker lined up this morning, and last night, bless her heart, she called us and said, I'm sick, I'm throwing up, I got a fever, it's not looking good, and so, um, like, oh, God, what do you do, right? Because, like, I'm like, ah, what a great opportunity. Because I'm not quite ready to move on in the helper. We're in the middle of the series called The Helper um, about the Holy Spirit. And so I'm not quite ready for what's coming next week. But what a great opportunity for me just to pull out one of my favorite stories in the Bible and just teach you about it. Is that cool with you if we just talk about a really great story? It's in Judges chapter 3. You can start turning there. It is one of the most bizarre stories you'll ever read in the Bible. And while you're turning there... I need to talk about a sensitive word that's going to be in there so that you don't start throwing stuff at me because I want to make sure you know what I'm saying when I say the word, okay? And the word is fat, okay? Because like this is a story about a warrior and a really fat man. And, and I'm going to use the word fat. Here's what I don't mean. I don't mean P-H-A-T, right? Like, dude, that is so fat, okay? That's not what we're talking about this morning. What I mean is fat, okay? And I'm not saying it to make people feel bad. I was raised, um, I don't know, how many of you ever had your mouth literally washed out with soap? Anybody? Oh, wow, a lot of people that don't know how to talk well. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, I ask questions all the time in our church just to kind of get the pulse of who we are, what we're as a church, and, and usually it's like four or five hands go up. I think I just found us. <laughs> we are bad, <laughs> Like, how many of that happened in the last month? That's what would be the question. I was, I was washing my own mouth out. You know, it's just, um, my, my mom, if she heard me call somebody fat, it was on. Okay, so I am, I'm treading lightly here. I don't want anybody in, in this room to feel bad about what, I'm using this word because God used it. It's in the Bible, and it's not going to mean what you think it does. Okay, so are you with me? So far, so just kind of give me some grace. Um, don't cringe every time you hear me say the word because it's going to come up a lot. All right, so here we go. Let's just start reading this story. It's in Judges chapter 3. Um, we'll start in verse 12. We'll just kind of read a little bit, and I'll stop and talk, and in the end, it'll hopefully all make sense. Here we go. Once again, Judges 3, verse 12. Once again, everybody say again. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. Let's just get a couple things right up front so we all kind of know what's going on. One, once again, the Israelites did evil. Am I the only one who resonates with that? Um, you're like, what? You're the pastor. I mean, how many of you find yourselves asking God to forgive you for the same thing over and over and over again? Like, God, I swear, God, if you'll just clean my mouth out, I will not lose my cool with my kids the next time. And then as sure as the world, they say something, and it's on, like Donkey Kong, right? I mean, you are on it again, and you're like, oh, God, I just prayed this prayer, right? I mean, we could, now we could go all the way down that road, and we could start naming some really serious stuff that we all struggle with, but let's just admit, we want to say that they're idiots, but we're idiots. We are just like them, and we find ourselves, once again, are you kidding me, God? I'm here again? I can remember as a teenager... I used to tell God, man, I, just, I should just record my repentance prayer and just hit play and just put it next to me while I get on my knees because it's the same prayer, and it used to drive me crazy. Like, why do I keep having the same problem? That's where the Israelites are. Once again, they did evil, and because they did evil, they became slaves to a king named Eglon. So I want to make sure you get who Eglon is. One, weirdest name ever. Right? 
Uh, can you just, just for a second, this could be harder for some of us because we're all different ages, but put yourself back in middle school, okay? Put yourself back in the first day of middle school, and the teacher is calling out the role. And your name's Eglon. Like, here's the kind of man you are when you grow up. You are full of rage. Just from that, right? Just from that. Just because you had to sit through middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade while the teacher called you Eglon. And you're like, what person named me this? It was my mom and dad. So you are full of rage, all right? You got parent issues all because your mom, when you were born, went, oh, that's our cute little Eggy, right? <laughs> and she named you Eglon. And so you were mad at the world. You were mad at your parents. And you're like growing up going, man, if I ever get power, I'm going to hurt somebody. Somebody's going to pay for me being called Eggy my whole life. And this is the king that they became slaves to. This is the man who they have to, eventually you'll find out, give money to. And so here's what they did, because they're slaves for 18 years. It says in verse 15, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer. Um, sometimes, can we admit that the Bible's hard to understand? Yes, you find yourself reading it going, I've read it five times, I still don't know what it's saying, I've read commentaries, I've even asked Paul, huh, that didn't help. What is it saying? Let me just break down the, the book of Judges, okay? Judges is really easy to understand. Here's how it works. People of God, they serve God, then they start to do the wrong thing. They get put into slavery, and they cry out for a deliverer. Help! God sent a deliverer. Deliverer comes. They get delivered. Everything's great. Party! Right? So they're partying at the top, right? And then they start to slip back down a little bit, and they get into slavery at the bottom, and they cry out for a deliverer. Help! Deliverer comes. They get delivered. Party! See, there's a pattern, right? It's a pattern. They can't stay focused. They're like people with ADHD, right? Or like they were the button, says, I've got ADOS. You know what that is, right? Attention deficit, ooh, shiny, right? That's who they are. It cycles over. They just can't. That's why it's once again, once again, and again they cried out, and once again and again, and it's like, oh, they can't focus. Like if they could just focus, maybe something good happens, but they can't. That's the people that we're dealing with. They cried out for a deliverer. So let's see what happens. Who's God sinned? The Israelites cried out for a deliverer, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud. Told you it's a bad naming period for the kingdom of Israel. Ehud, a left-handed man, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. You got Eglon, you got Ehud, you got Gera. What in the world? The Israelites sent him a tribute, sent him with a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Verse 16 describes Ehud. Let's meet him. He's a main character, okay? Now, Ehud... He's a left-handed man. So how many of you are left-handed? Okay. If you were living back in the days of Ehud and you were left-handed, they would have trained you to use your right hand. Because if you were left-handed, something was wrong with you. That's who he, so he's, he's raised. He also has a weird name, Ehud, right? He's like, what's up, Ehud? <laughs> left-handed, can't use it. Trained to use his right hand, and he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, in the tribes, there's 12 tribes, and Benjamin was considered the weakest of all the tribes. So this is a man saying, here's what, my name, hi, I'm Ehud, and I'm left-handed. Shh, don't tell anybody, because that's terrible, sign of weakness, and I'm also the weakest of the weak. Now, I don't know who you are, where you are, what you struggle with. When I was in middle school, I weighed 87 pounds, 87 pounds, my mom, that, like my mom went to buy me knee pads when I played basketball, I, I played, when I was on the team. I didn't actually play. But when I was on the team sitting on the bench, she bought me knee pads. And when I put the knee pads on, they fell to my ankles. So in, in middle school, I wore elbow pads on my knees because that's all I could. I couldn't keep the other ones up. 87 pounds. Let me describe what 87 pounds looks like. It's invisible. You, you can't see it. Unless you stick your tongue out, right? And you're like, wow, it looks like a zipper. <laughs> hey, you're a zipper. That's amazing. You know, like you just can't see. You can't, 87 pounds is like nothing. That was me. So when I got picked, we like line people up in middle school class, and they would say, hey, um, I, I want, you know, I want Sam, and I want Johnny, and I want this and that. And then it's like at the end, like, 
give me the zipper, right? That's me. I'm that guy. I mean, I, I can so relate to left-handed, weakest of the week. Oh, God, I'm a Benjamite. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe you feel so disqualified to do anything for God. Here's what I want you to see from that one verse. Man, the Bible's written on purpose. No matter what he was, left-handed, weakest of the week, whatever, God said he was a deliverer. You get that? You get that? Do you see that? Like he couldn't be too weak for God to say, no, man, you're, you're my deliverer. Like that cycle's going on. Oh, help. And he gets right here, and God hears their cry. And he's like, let me just, let me just look everybody over for a second. Mm. Ehud, that's who I want. And that's who God picked. He picked Ehud. He wants to pick you. You know, no matter how much you've jacked your life up, no matter how messed up it is, no matter how bad you think you failed, no matter where you find yourself today, God looks at you and says, I see in you a deliverer. I see in you somebody that I can use to set somebody else free. I mean, that's so encouraging. Maybe it's only encouraging to me because I was the zipper. I don't know. But it's encouraging to know that I can't mess that up. No matter where I am, God looks at me and says, I see something greater in you than you've even seen yourself. I see a deliverer. So Ehud, he took a tribute in verse 15. So Israelites sent him with a tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. It's interesting that's in verse 15 because tax day is the 15th, right? So I don't know if you've done your taxes yet or not. April 15th is approaching quickly. But you know how you feel when you do your taxes? I mean, I want to be the patriotic guy that goes, well, when I do my taxes, I'm just so thankful that I live in America. And now when I do my taxes, I'm like, dude, why are you taking my money? Why are you taking my money? That's my money. I worked hard for that money. I want that money. I want to keep what's mine. Well, that's what he did. Your tributes become popular because of the Hunger Games, right? When they sent a tribute once a year, the Israelites would send all their stuff. Whatever the king demanded, he could demand anything he wanted to. Let's say, I want 79.35% of what you make. So they would give 79.35% of all their stuff, give it to this person. And this year it happened to be Ehud, and he would take it to the king. And he would take, that was the tribute. It's a really nice word for stuff that's mine that shouldn't be yours. That's what it, every single year they send a tribute like that. So here's what Ehud did that was different. Verse 16. Ehud made a, a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long. All the guys are listening now. He's doing a double-edged sword. He strapped it to his right thigh under his clothing. What, what does that one verse say to us? This dude had a plan, didn't he? He's at home. He's thinking, I'm left-handed, right thigh, let's go. He's got a plan. Can I just tell you something? Apathy requires nothing. And that's why so many people are apathetic. Because you don't have to do anything at all. So many people say this, man, I'm so addicted I, can't, I don't want to be addicted anymore. And so we'll say things like this at church. Hey, man, you know what you should do? Celebrate recovery. Friday nights. Why don't you come to that? And they'll go, no, I don't really want to do anything. I just don't want to be addicted. Okay. Have a plan, right? Man, I, I'm so tired of being broke. Like, I work my butt off, and I pay my bills, and then I don't, ha I don't have any money left over. I'm so tired. Of I just can't get ahead. Hey, sweet, man, why don't you come over? We'll hang out. We'll, like, walk through Dave Ramsey FPU. We'll help you make a budget. Well, that sounds like a lot of work. Yeah, it is. It's like a plan to not be broke. Well, I don't know if I want to do that. I think I'll just sit at my house and just pray. Okay. <laughs> like, the roof going to open and somebody's going to, like, drop buckets of money in your house? No, I mean, you got to have a plan. Listen, Ehud was tired of paying 18 years of his stuff to a king. And he had a plan. He's like, I'm not going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. I've got a plan. I'm making a sword. I'm strapping it to my leg. I'm going there with a plan. Apathy 
is never intentional. So here we get to verse 17. This is part where you got to remember that the Bible's written specifically with specific words. You have to start, you'll, you'll have, it'll totally revolutionize your Bible reading if you'll start asking God these questions. Why? Be like a little kid. Why? Like I read the Bible and I'll see certain words and I'm like, God, why is that there? Why did you put that in here? Verse, this is one of those verses. Verse 17 says this. He presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. So Ehud took all that, you know what, 78.35%. He took all that and he... It wasn't really 78.35%. It's just a number I made up to make sure that you wouldn't nod off. So don't go out and quote that. But he gives all that to the king. And the Bible says this, who was a very fat man. Everybody say, why? Like, God, why is that in there? Are you, are you mocking the king? Are you trying to make everybody who's a little overweight feel bad when they read that verse? Why did you? And, and not only why is it in there that he's fat, but why, God, did you say he was very fat? Like, let's just pile it on, right, God? What's that about? He, here's why I think that's in there, okay? And, and, and can we just show that real quick picture? Right? Just so you kind of get a picture of what, what maybe he looked like, right? Okay. How did the king get fat? He got fat. Off everybody else's suffering. That's how he got fat. Every year they brought him stuff and he would use that to buy stuff. He just sat on his throne and took and took and took and took. He got fat off Israel's slavery. Listen, we're going to turn a corner in just a second. We're going to start not talking about physical fat people. We're just going to start talking about where we are spiritually, right? But I want to make sure that you get... How this works. I've lost a lot of weight twice in my life. First time, here's what I did. I, I stopped drinking Mountain Dew, which is just the nectar of the gods. There's no doubt about it. It's a fantastic drink. And I switched to Diet Mountain Dew, which was horrible for the first week because diet never tastes as good as, and I know that like Coke Zero is just as good as Coke. It's because they're lying to you. I don't know what that's about. But I stopped drinking Mountain Dew and I switched to diet. Okay? And in one month, I lost 15 pounds. Now, I didn't do anything else, right? I didn't change what I, anything I ate. I still, you know, I didn't exercise anymore. But why did I lose 15 pounds just from doing that? Sugar, right? I'm giving a little, little, just a little biology lesson, right? Just sugar's all it was. I didn't have so much sugar coming. There's so much sugar in sodas. I, I can't, I don't know how long it's been since I had a soda. It's like four years or something. I mean, I just, I just don't drink them anymore. I love them. I mean, I, I'll smell them, right? <sighs> you know, somebody take it out of the house. Quick, run! And then the second time, I started running. And I didn't run, so I'd be this giant athlete. I'm still not a great athlete. I just, I got tired of playing hide-and-seek with my kids and being tired. Like, they had to go, let's play again. I'm like, no, one game was enough. <laughs> and I was base, right? It's just bad. So I just got tired of being tired. So I started running, thinking, well, if I just run a little bit, maybe I'll be in shape. I can play with them more. I don't get as tired. And I started running so much. I lost so much weight that people would see me in public. And they hadn't seen me in a couple months. They were like, Paul, are you okay? Do you have cancer? I mean, they would ask me that, like in Walmart. Do you have cancer? No, I don't think so. Do you know something I don't know, right? But it was just like, I just lost so much weight. Now, why did I lose weight? And I'm not saying that so you'll, you don't have to do that. I'm just making sure you get the principle, okay? Here's the principle. If you burn more than you consume, you will lose weight. Every single time. Now, nobody wants to believe that, right? Which is why late at night, when I can't sleep, and I'm up, and I'm eating like Swedish fish or chips, and I'm watching TV, what infomercials do I see? If you'll just take one pill, you don't even have to exercise. Just swallow the pill, and you will shed the weight. Bull crap. Not how it works. No, 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 no. Like, you don't burn enough calories swallowing that, right? And if you're going to swallow a pill and lose weight, it's going to kill you, right? you got to do something. Somehow that metabolism, something's got to change. It's got to burn more than you're taking in. That's the way it works. So let me ask you this question. How did the king become a very fat man? He took in more than he gave away. 
It's as simple as that. He got fat off of other people's suffering. So, before we get totally spiritual, let's finish the story. We're getting to the good part. How many of you like criminal minds? Just out of curiosity. Okay, psychos. All right. This is for you. This story is for people that like criminal minds. Here we go. Oh, see, we're in verse 17. He presented the tribute to the king who was a very fat man. Verse 18. After Ehud had presented the tribute, he sent on, he sent on their way the men who had carried it. So he had had people come with him because it was, you know, 78.35%. That's a lot of stuff. So they came and helped carry it, and he sent them out. And in verse 19, it says, At the idols near Gilgal, he himself turned back and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. I didn't even notice this in the first service, so this is just for you guys. But can I just share this with you? At some point in your life, you're going to recognize that you have idols, and that's where you're going to make a decision. You catch that? At the idols near Gilgal. And I don't know what your idol is. I don't, mine could be Swedish fish. It's very possible. I don't know what your idol is. We all have them. And at some point, we'll recognize it and go, I think I need to make a difference. I need to make a change. Something's got to change. At the idols, he made, a, he made a decision. He sent them ahead, and he turned back, and I love this. He said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And the king said, quiet, because that's what kings say, right? If your name's Eglon, and people have called you Eggy your whole life, and you're mad, and you want people to be quiet, you just go, quiet! That's what kings do. And everybody left the room. His attendants left him. Now, from verses 20 through the end of the story, there's a lot of debate about where this happened, okay? Um, but some of the clues, the context and the clues to put on your detective hat, some of the clues in here suggest this. That what we're getting ready to read happened in the bathroom. <laughs> like, I got your attention now, right? Like, this is going to be so good. Here's why. He's in his upper room of his summer palace. He's sitting, presumably on a throne. Just seeing if you're with me. And then you'll see down at the, at the bottom of the story, when, the, when his attendants don't quite know what's going on, they are the ones that say maybe he's relieving himself. Well, they wouldn't say that if he wasn't in the bathroom, right? I mean, I don't know how you are in your house, but when I can't find Parker, Will, or Sydney, and, and the bathroom doors are wide open, and the lights aren't on in the bathroom, I don't say, well, maybe they're relieving themselves. No, I'm pretty sure they're not, unless they're doing it like in the family room, right? which would be weird, right? So the fact that they would even ask that would suggest that this might have taken place there. So we're going to go with that, okay, because it makes it a lot more fun. All right, so just picture all this happening in the bathroom. Here we go, verse 20. Ehud then approached him while he was sitting alone, because I know about you, I go to the bathroom alone, sitting alone in the upper room of a summer palace and said, I have a message from God for you. And as the king rose from the throne, Ehud reached with his left hand, drew the sword that he had already prepared and plunged it, this is the criminal mind verse, plunged it into the king's belly. Now, the difference between verse 21 and verse 22 is the difference between, like, dateline and criminal minds, okay? Because dateline's like there was a murder, and criminal minds is like, let me tell you what he did, okay? And here's what he did. Even the handle sank in after the blade, which came out of his back. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. So are you picturing this? and he just left it there came out and the fat just over the handle perfect crime because nobody can find the weapon where is the sword I mean nobody's doing this right no perfect perfect Ehud went out to the porch, shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. So here's verse 24. After he had gone, the servants came and found the doors of the upper room locked. Because that's what happens when people go to the bathroom. They said he must be relieving himself in the inner room of the house. They waited to the point of embarrassment. I don't know how long you wait to knock on the door. Is anybody in there? I mean, do, do you wait till you smell things? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to, I mean, let's make sure you get this, right? They're, they're outside the door. What do you think? I mean, 
I don't know. Listening. That's awkward, right? I don't hear nothing. I don't know what's going on. They finally opened the door. They unlocked it. Took a key, unlocked it. Then they saw their Lord fall into the floor, dead. And verse 26 says, while they waited, Ehud got away. He passed by the idols, fantastic, and escaped to Sarah. Just tying that whole idol thing together. You got to see the idol. You got to make a decision. And I'm telling you right now, when you do the deed, you got to pass by that idol. And you got to go somewhere else. Okay? So Ehud goes with a plan because he's, he's had enough. Well, when do we get to the point where we say to our addiction, we say to our sin, we say to the thing that we keep hitting play over and running it in our head, when do we say enough? When do we say no more? I will not do this anymore. And even if I die fighting it, I will die fighting it because my kids sure are not going to do this anymore. Ehud said 18 years is enough. I'm done. I'm going to go take care of it. And he went with a plan. He was intentional. He killed the fat man. So the question is this. How do we apply a message like this? I mean, a lot of us are going to go to the buffet, right? Later after church. I mean, do you grab a knife off the table? Do you look for the largest person possible and stab them? And the police are like, why'd you do that? Well, my preacher said, kill the fat man. <laughs> and you're an idiot. <laughs> All right, so let's break this down, right? God's not telling us to do that. So what is God saying we're supposed to do? Why in the world is this story in here? Outside of the fact that it's a lot of fun to preach and it keeps people awake. Why is that story in there? Because there's a fat man to be killed. And how do you get fat? You get fat because you take in more than you give out. And I will say this, the fat man is selfishness. The fat man is when our world becomes all about us. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this or not. Sometimes we experience it because we're just flat out totally self-absorbed. Sometimes we go through things and all we think about is us. But I have lived where the walls just close in. Talk about that, the fat closing in over that handle, right? I've lived in those moments where it's like, I cannot get out. Like, all I see is my stuff. I can't get out. I'm trapped. I'm suffocating. Because I'm so absorbed with me. And that's, that's the fat man. And God is calling us to kill the fat man. To have a plan. Well, what in the world could we possibly do that would help us kill that fat man? Um, let me read to you. You can keep your finger there and judge it if you want to. Um, over in Matthew. Matthew chapter 20. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. And one of the moms comes to see him. We love you, Mom. Moms are great. Moms are great. Okay. Sometimes they do things like this. Here we go. Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. Now just without getting into too much trouble. Men, have you ever had your wife ask you for a favor? They're not asking. Okay, just make sure you get this right. They're not, they're, what they're saying is, do this. Please. So I don't have to kill you. Right? That's, that's what they're saying. It's, it's a favor. Okay, so they're asking a favor of him. And Jesus said, what is it you want? She said this, grant that one of my sons may sit at your right and the other may sit at your left in the kingdom. So you're going to be sitting on a throne because you're Jesus. I get that. But there'll be a, a chair to your right and your left. And I'm just like, I have two sons. How ironic is that? I have two sons. You have two chairs. I just like my sons to sit in them. Please, Jesus. Jesus says, um, no, basically. And then he turns and he says, um, they will, they, the places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. It's not his, his he can't, he says, I can't grant it yes or no. Verse 23. But here's what I, what I want you to get. Verse 24. When the 10, as the other disciples, when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Everybody say indignant. Indignant is Bible talk for really, really ticked off. Okay, so they're really ticked off. And somebody, anybody know why they're ticked off? Because 
John's mom asked first. Like, where's my mom? Why is my mom not talking to Jesus right now? Why is my mom not securing for me the chair on the left and the right? Why do I have a mom? I bet she's, why she named me this? Why is, why is my mom not here? Where, why, why didn't she give me the spot? They're mad because they're not going to get the spot. And so here's what Jesus says. I want you to listen to this, okay? Jesus called them together and said, verse 25, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. He's saying this. Look, in the world, there's flowcharts. You know that, guys. And it's king of the hill, whoever's at the top wins, and whoever's at the top gets to tell people what to do, right? It's like the real golden rule, right? Whoever has all the gold rules. You've heard that, right? Yeah, so like if you've got all the money, you tell people what to do. He said, that's the way it works. The next thing out of his mouth is this, not so with you. Now, I don't even really know what all that means. I mean, I know what it means, but let's just talk practically as a church. So here's what happens in churches. Let's find the most qualified, the most professional, the best speaker, the best singers, the best of everything, and we'll put them up on the platform, right? And they'll lead us, and then we'll do whatever they say. And that's what, that's what most church looks like. And did you see what Jesus said? He said, that's the way the Gentiles do it, but not so with you. And I don't really fully understand what that means ramification-wise, right? But I know one thing it doesn't mean. It means we're not supposed to look like them. So Jesus says, here's how you do it in this house. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be a slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said this, you want to kill the fat man? Serve. Just serve. You want to be different than everybody else out there? Serve. Don't fight over these chairs. Maybe you'll get them, maybe you won't. I can't even say yes or no, but I can tell you this, quit asking and serve. He says, that'll set you apart. That alone. Man, kill the fat man by serving. And we hear this, and, and here's just how our human minds work, and this is what makes us adorable. We hear this and go, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I mean, there's the people a lot more selfish than I am. I mean, I, I open doors at the church once a month, right? It reminds me of Sydney when she was like four. She came to me one time, and she's like, Dad, my, chicken, my, my poop looks like chicken. And I said, just what you did. Your, your what? My poop looks like chicken. Okay, okay, um, baby, you're cute. <laughs> your poop doesn't look like chicken. It looks like poop, right? It smells like poop. It, it's nasty. It doesn't look like chicken, smell like chicken. I'm not even going to go any further and figure that out, right? We tend to, like, think we're a little bit better than maybe we are. You just got the taste like chicken, didn't you? You got that, right? Okay, good. Just make sure. Just me and you, we're, like, on, we're connected. Listen, we're selfish at our core without Jesus. The world's never going to look at you and say, oh, you must be Christian because you sat at church for an hour and a half. Man, churches are full of people that don't know Jesus. They'll look at you and say, something's different about you because you used to be all about you and now you're all about others. That's what they'll see. That's what makes it different. Jesus said, don't be like them. Don't lord over people. I mean, serve. Just serve. I think all the stuff in churches, all the power struggles, not that we're having power struggles. I'm just saying in churches in general, all the stuff that goes on, all the fight to get the chairs and the chairs and the pulpit and the mic and give me the mic and all that stuff, all that could be solved with two words, after you. That's it. Just after you. No, no, after you. What? No, you're the pastor. I, I, I know I'm the, I'm the pastor, whatever, but after you. No, you're the worship leader. Okay, whatever, but after you. Let me get the door for you. This passage in Matthew, I mean, everybody wants to be first. Everybody wants to be first. 
And if I'm running a race, I definitely want to be first. But, you know, just everyone wants to be first, the most important. Where are the people that choose to be last? Where are those people? Those people will change the world. Those people will serve others and change the world. That's what Jesus said. It's what he came to do. Sometimes the truth hurts. I get it totally. Um, I love in Hebrews. We'll just read this verse. I'm going to tell you a story, and then we'll get out of here and go eat <laughs> a lot of food, right? <laughs> and then we'll go work out. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 4. You, if you grew up in church, um, you've probably heard this verse a couple times. If somebody next to you is sleeping, just wake them up and tell them the best is coming and they should be awake for it. It's going to be great. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. This is what God says about the Bible. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Did we hear anything else about another double-edged sword today? Who made a double-edged sword? Ehud, right? Because he's going to kill King Eggy. So the double-edged sword, and what did he do with that sword? Plunged it, right, so far in that the fat over it. What does this say that the Word of God does to us? It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Listen, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. That's a verse that makes us go, right? Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Word of God penetrates us. Like, cuts us. And we're just kind of like, oh, I didn't think I was that selfish. But now that you pointed out, thanks, Paul. I'm preaching it, thinking the same thing about me. That's what the Bible does. And so we have a choice, don't we? We have a choice here. We can stay in that verse and be like, oh, God, I hate this. Or we can just keep reading. Now listen to what God says. Therefore, what's that therefore? Therefore, because we are laid open and bare by the word of God, because we came in feeling really good about ourselves, and I read you a story about a fat king and a warrior, and now you're going, crud, am I really that selfish? Because we're laid open, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, though we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin." So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. And that's the response. When the word of God cuts us, our selfishness, and lays us open, the response is in this spot where I am bleeding and hurting and wishing I didn't feel this way, I have got a, a high priest in Jesus who gets me. He sees me. Let me share one last story that really drives this home for me. When I was youth pastoring at First Assembly, we took a mission trip to Boston. And it's just it's one of those hard mission trips. You go to inner city, doing all kinds of work. You're walking all the time. You just give yourself away for a week. And the way it was worked out was we were going to get back on a Sunday. And so we were going to stay at this church in Boston for the Sunday morning service, and we were going to, like, you know, be a part of their service, and then when it was over, we'd kind of get a quick bite to eat, and then we would head back down. Well, somewhere like Saturday night, the kids were like, hey, Pastor Paul, listen, we've been working hard, and you know, on the way back home, we're going to be going near New York City. Near's like three hours out of the way, right? But we're near New York City. Hey, think we can go to Times Square? And I said, well, I... I, I don't see why not. I mean, you've been working hard. Um, we'll just, like, I'll tell the pastor that we need to leave right after service so he's not, you know, surprised by that. And then we'll just jump in the vans and we'll go, sure, absolutely, let's do it. And they're like, yeah, you're the best youth pastor ever. And I was like, I know. I know. <laughs> I, I knew it before that, but you've just confirmed it, right? So, so we go to church and we're sitting in the service. It's kind of like today's service. You know, you're like, how long is he going to talk and what's going on? And so, you know, like he just, it's a long service. There's so many elements to this service. And the longer it goes, the more the kids are like, I'm on the end. They're looking at me, right? They're like, and I'm like, I'm the best youth pastor ever, right? And at some point in the service, the pastor is on the platform. He goes, and now the baby dedication. And the kids are like, oh. And Pastor Paul, we want you to come and dedicate the baby. I'm like, me? I don't even know the baby, right? Like, come, come. So I go up there and I'm dedicating the baby. Oh, God bless 
baby X, you know, whatever. And pray, go back, sit down. They keep on like preaching. And at the end of the service, the pastor says this. Now, after the service, we're going to have a lunch downstairs in the fellowship hall. And all the team from North Carolina is going to come down there. And we just want you to come church and just hang out with us and tell them how much you love them. And that got all my kids going. Because the pastor had told us before the service, the whole team is like, look, I know you got to get out of here. So what we're going to do is we're going to pack you some lunches to take in the van on the way home. So between him telling us that and whatever happened, some mom probably asked for a favor, right? And so we end up at a lunch downstairs, okay? So the kids, they're like looking at me down the pew. And, and finally, they just said, we're not, we're not going to New York, are we? And I was like, God, I don't think so. I'm sorry. We came, to, we came to serve them first, and I'm sorry. Am I still the best youth pastor ever? <laughs> you know. So we go down, we have lunch, we leave. It's so late in the afternoon, we leave. Driving out, I don't know how far outside we got out of Boston, but the, the, the chaperone that was with me, he looks at me, he's driving, and I'm, or I'm driving, he's in the pastor seat, and he's just, just like, he's like, Pastor Paul, listen, I'm so amazed at our kids, like how they served and how, even though they're disappointed about New York, and I know, and I know that they're, what do you say we go to New York anyway? Like, if you'll, if you'll help drive, I'll drive through the night, you drive through the night, we'll make it, we'll just go back and forth. Let's go to New York. What do you say? And I was like, absolutely, I'm in, let's do it. So we turn around, hey kids, we're going to New York. And they're like, you're the best youth pastor again, you know. And we, we get to New York City at 1130 at night. So, yeah, I'm from Albemarle. I'm like, I'm preparing them all the way over there. Like, kids, I know there's a song that says it's a city that never sleeps. It's just a song. You know, we all know that everything closes at 9 because we're from Albemarle. So <laughs> we get there at 1130. We, we come up off the subway. And, I mean, Times Square is just alive. I love Times Square. It's just alive. Lights everywhere. Like, you would have sworn it was 1 in the afternoon, right? And so we're just kind of walking around. We're not, we don't even look obvious. Wow. Wow, a building, wow, like more than 10 stories, what, you know, and at some point, because we're, their kids, they're like, Pastor Paul, we are starving, we are starving, like, can we get something to eat, and I'm like, well, I don't know if this is going to be open, I mean, like, I know, like, all the lights are on, but are you kidding, they're like, there's Planet Hollywood, like, oh yeah, there's Planet Hollywood, so we walk over to Planet Hollywood, now we're, it's midnight, right, we're at Planet Hollywood, Times Square, midnight. And I told the kids, look, hopefully since it's midnight, it's probably not going to be a long line. I mean, the, the line was out the door. Midnight, right? Like smart people in Stanley County have been asleep for three hours, right? Midnight, out the door. And so we walked in, and I don't know what came over me in that moment, but probably just the wisdom of God. So we're walking past all these people, and we walked up to get our name put on the sheet. And when I walked up, she's like, um... She's like, hi, how many do you have? And I said, listen, I, I noticed that you got this long line here, right? But that's probably the line for normal people. Um, I'm curious about where's the line for the party of 15 from Boston? And she went, hold on a second. She walks away, and I'm kind of like, wow, that's pretty cool. The kids are in the back going, I'm like, you know, she came back with 15 menus, and she said, follow me. And so I was like, you know, they came up there and like, we're walking past that long line like, what's up? We're the people from Boston, you know, <laughs> just, we're going to our table, you know, sorry, you're not from Boston. Can't be in the group, right? You know, we're the cool club. And we sat in the middle of Planet Hollywood in Times Square. No wait in line. We're sitting there ordering dessert, the one piece of cake with 15 forks because it's all we can afford. And so we're eating it. And I said to the kids, I said, listen, here's the deal. You can't live the rest of your life and not know this, that when you serve people, you serve a God who will go out of his way to repay you. You cannot outserve God. And because you gave yourselves away in Boston, he provided this table in the middle of Planet Hollywood. And there are people standing outside in line that wish they could sit here. And you're sitting here. Because you put others before yourself. That's the God that I serve. Fifteen kids. Their lives will never be the same. 
They can run from God all they want. They'll never forget that moment. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we serve. As if that's not enough, right? We get in the car and we're driving home. And so you know, like my, the guy that's with me, he's like, I'm going to make a few phone calls and see if I can get us a hotel so we can just like, you know, crash for like two hours and sleep. And the place that he called, he kind of told the story of what we'd done. They were like, man, you know, he's asking for like, can we just have one room, put 15 kids in? Like, we got there, they had four or five rooms for us, suites, you know, like big showers. It was amazing, like not even pink tile. It was awesome. All because, man, when you give yourself away, God opens up heaven for you. How do you kill the fat man? You serve serve you want more in your life and most of us want more we're not we're not gonna have more peace more joy we're gonna have more power from the spirit here's your big idea today here's your big idea saying enough is the first step towards having more and at some point enough you're not gonna rob from me anymore you're not gonna take from me anymore i'm tired of building this fat man around my life no more. I'm going to start to serve. And that's what's going to change our city. That's what's going to change our county. That's what's going to change the world. It's not going to be my preaching, right? Because I'm good. I'm good, right? I'm so good that this place is packed. See, people don't come because the preacher's good. They come because the people listening have actually changed. They come because they, they knew us before and they were like, you are the biggest jerk ever. But now you're not. Something's changed. There are people in our, in our church who are changing in front of my eyes. And it's not going to be a surprise that people that know them want to come check out our church. And when they get here, they're like, well, it sure ain't the preaching. It's not. It's the serving. It's the serving. Your, your application of this message this morning is really simple. Serve. Serve. I, I told the first service, I, I've, I've seen this, I've been to a couple of conferences, I've heard this stat, and everybody that says it says the same thing. They're like, we can't prove it, we can't explain it, but we know it's true. Because they can look at numbers and they can say this is true. And here's what's true. Did you know that for every one person that serves in a church, four people come? Think about that. For every one person that serves in a church, four people will come. That means if we have 30 servers, 120 other people are coming. There's 150 people in a church because 30 people are serving. If you have 40 servers, 200. You got 50 servers, 250. See, we, we get so wrapped up in Put it on a good show so we can attract the masses to come. They don't come because of the show. They come because people that love Jesus begin to love them. And they're like, nobody's done that for me. I've got to check that place out. How do we apply this message? You serve. You, you, You do this. You put your hand in front of you. You reach into the chair in front of you and you pull the card out. This is real spiritual. And you fill your name out, and you check, I'm interested in serving. Do you know the church should be the easiest place to get people to serve? And it's the hardest. Now, after what we just talked about, you tell me why. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard. But it should be the easiest place. After all that Jesus did for me, are you kidding? I can't wait to serve. It should be the easiest place. I I can't, I'm too busy. All right. Kill some fat. Just kill some fat. Find some time. You want to be free from addiction? You go to any, come to Celebrate Recovery. You read any of their curriculum, you know what they'll tell you? You want to be free from addiction? Serve somebody. I'm depressed. Serve somebody. I I just don't feel it anymore. Serve somebody. There's something about serving people that just suddenly heals you. So your application, that's it. It's as simple as that. Serve. Start giving yourself away. 
Give yourself away. It'll change this entire city. You know, our, our DNA as a church is not this. We don't sit around and have meetings and ask this question. How can we make our church great? Do you know what I say to God? How can our church make the city great? And I want, I want our church to make the city great. And we do it through service. You close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to give you the chance to respond. Right now, you're thinking, God, he just did a whole sermon because he needs servers. And the answer is yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did an entire service because Jesus needs you to serve. We did an entire sermon because the people that need Jesus need you to serve. It's exactly why. No apologies. Because it's your active service that will get their attention. So God, we ask right now that you would in this place right now while we pray, that you would fill our souls with the passion of knowing that you have called us to something greater than who we are. Man, your kingdom is so amazing. The change in my life has been so drastic from the inside out that I, I, yeah, man, we get tired for sure, but I find myself saying, are you serious? You picked me? What an honor to serve you. Like you saw the zipper in middle school and you picked me. God, what an honor to serve you. You, you want to use me to serve someone else who needs to feel picked? Man, what an honor to serve you. And my only response to you calling me is that. Thank you. What an honor to serve you. And I just pray all across this room, God, that you would fill us with that. Man, we've, we've known the oppressiveness of being made to do stuff. Man, none of us want that. God, that's, that's what the fat king does. But, but God, this morning, we're saying enough to that. Set us free to a life that chooses this. That chooses to give itself away for your kingdom. That chooses to serve others so that they can experience the same freedom that we have. And my prayer, God, selfishly as a pastor, as a leader of these people, God, is that you would, man, you would fill this space with hearts that have been redeemed like that. That your word would penetrate us, God. That we would say, man, that hurt, but I am all about killing a fat man. Sign me up. In your name, Jesus. Amen.